Hello, friends. Hello, Lou. Welcome. Good morning. How are we doing? I'm good. How are you? Very good. So it's an exciting day today. We are starting on the final chapter of the Gita. This is a long chapter, the final one. It's got 78 verses. And something I'd like you, the listener, to con contemplate and, and look at. I've heard a lot of people say that chapter 18 is essentially just a summation and a summary of everything else that's in the Gita from chapter 1 through 17. And chapter 18 just sort of wraps it up. Um, I personally don't feel the same way. I feel that there's a lot of new things in uh, chapter 18. But, you know, I would like your opinion also on this. Anyway, chapter 18. I think what we've found to this point is that it's still useful to wrap around on stuff because you get there with more knowledge. You get there with a different perspective than when it was presented to you the first time. That is so true. Uh, yeah. The Gita tends to repeat what it says over and over again and just present it in different lights, different ways of saying it, so that it sort of drums it in, drills it into your you so that you see it from all facets. So that is true that the Gita tends to repeat uh, over and over in different ways the entire concept. Because ultimately the concept is that you've got to bring your mind to a, 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 a state of peace where you're peaceful, your mind is quiet, you're happy, so that you can meditate. That's the ultimate goal. So that when you meditate, you can give up all thoughts of your ego, the I, the little I, and move on to just thinking about God or Brahman and focus on that. So that's the ultimate state. And this is why you, the Gita keeps teaching you how you can get your mind to that peaceful state. <clears throat> so chapter 18, the number 18, <clears throat> sorry, the number 18 or the number nine is a very significant one. Uh, in our ancient times, our scriptures, our sages, um, our gurus, teachers from the past always thought of nine as a very important number. But you can't make the Gita with nine chapters. That would be too small. So they picked 18. Uh, 18 is a significant num number because 18, Gita has 18 chapters. In the Mahabharata, they could have picked any number of battalions. They picked 18 battalions. There's 18 Puranas and 18 Upapuranas. Why 18? Why is that? The number one symbolically suggests, you remember we talked about Prakriti. Uh, we talked about Paraprakriti and Aparaprakriti. So the number one, which I won't go into, it's basically spirit and matter. Mm -hmm. But the number one is the consideration of spirit. Number eight is the Aparaprakriti or matter. And one plus eight equals nine. Now, if you take 18, again, it's one plus eight. If you go up to 36, it's three plus six equals mm -hmm. nine. You go up to four plus 45, which is four plus five, that's nine. Everywhere, all of this, right through to infinity, all the nine uh, multiplication numbers end up to be nine, mm -hmm. which is um, the supreme, considered to be Brahman, always steady. 18, 36, 45, 54, they all equal nine. Nine is the number behind all of this, just like Brahman is the entity 
behind all of this. Did you know this, Lou? No, this is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> this I found that fascinating, that the reason they picked 18. And by the way, there are 700 verses in the Gita. Uh, some people say it's 701. But uh, the author, Vyasa, who wrote this, probably a self-realized person, I'm sure about it, um, wrote it in such a way because it wasn't typed in those days. This was 5,000 plus years ago. Everything was spoken. Every verse was delegated to one of the uh, teachers and their families. And they were told that they have to make sure that it goes on through the centuries, through every family member they recited so that it was intact. No matter what wars there were, no matter how many invaders there were in India, the Gita and other Upanishads, etc., have been intact to the exact words, exact verses, because there are still families in India who just keep reciting these verses over and over again and just keep passing it down. It's a fascinating heritage, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So um, this chapter 18 has multiple areas of interest. Uh, so this is just an introduction I'm giving, why there were 18 chapters, in my opinion. Um, but it starts off by teaching us that we have to detach from the world. Detach from the world and attach to Brahman. And we'll talk more about that when we get to it. But that's just giving you a thumbnail sketch of what to expect. When you drop the little I, 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 me, 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 I'm the doer, I'm the person that did this, the magnificence of Brahman who is within you, who is you, shines through. You say, well, don't I have to do anything to bring the Brahman out? Well, if you take brasso, uh, take brass, and you take the cleaner that we used in India called brasso, you take it and you take a cloth and you wipe that brass, the dirt comes off and immediately the brass shines through. You don't need to do anything. Just take the dirt off. Mm -hmm. So that's what he's saying. It's like, it's like the rope and the snake. The typical example from the Upanishads, you see a rope in the uh, twilight and it's dark and, and you look at it and you say there's a snake. The snake is actually superimposed like dirt onto the rope because it's not really there. But as long as you see it as a snake, you only see it as a snake. Mm -hmm. Once the idea of the snake goes past, then you see it as a rope and then you cannot no longer see it as a snake. So, uh, and the last example is that of a dream. Um, you're fast asleep, you're dreaming. And when you, when the dream disappears because you wake up, you don't have to do anything to come back to your waking self. The waking self sort of shines through. So bottom line, when you are able to get past this I, 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 me, 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 everything is selfish, the self, the Brahman, will just shine through automatically. Isn't that so beautiful? It's as yeah. simple as that. Just give up the I, the little I, and the Brahman within you will shine through. So chapter 18 also talks about vairagya. Vairagya means detachment. Detachment from the ego, from us, from the world. And, and the example in the Upanishads is given of a lotus in water. A beautiful flower within muddy, murky, dirty water and completely untouched by water. Even though it's in the water, lives in the water, it's completely untouched. And what the Upanishads are suggesting, Gita is suggesting, is that you, I, we all be like lotus in the water as far as our connection with the world. 
You can stay there in this murky, muddy, dirty, uh, surrounded by desires and all kinds of temptations. But if you renounce, if you detach from this, you can shine through like Brahman. Um, and the first topic that chapter 18 starts off with is called Tyaga or Sannyasi, which is renunciation, both of them. It's a difficult, very difficult concept to understand. Um, I have read up a lot about this difference between Tyag and Sannyas. And growing up, I never understood the difference. I didn't know. I, I don't think I still understand fully the difference. I have read lots and lots and lots of Swamis talking about Tyaga and Sannyas. And I still don't know if I understand it completely. But I'll give you uh, a thumbnail sketch and, and you can do some research yourselves and see what you think about Tyag and Sannyas. But essentially, it starts off, verse 1, with Arjuna asking, what is the difference between Tyag and Sannyas? Now, in English, a Sannyasi is somebody who dons um, a saffron-colored clothes and goes up to the mountains and leaves everything behind, renunciates. And Tyag also means the same thing. You just renounce everything and go. So what is the difference? Um, he, here that he's saying, and I will talk about that when we get to verse one, giving up the ego, renouncing the I, that's Tyag and Sannyas, that you're giving up, not the world necessarily only, but also because a lot of people can stay in the world and still be Tyagis or Sannyasis. When you get to be self-realized, imagine that, compare yourself to a wave in the ocean. And when the wave is coming out of the water as a big wave, about a mile out of the um, uh, beach, the wave looks at itself and says, look at me, I'm such a powerful wave, looks around and says, oh, that wave is smaller than me, this wave is bigger than me, I'm jealous, this one is uh, not as good as me, I'm more attractive, I'm brighter, I'm smarter, I'm wealthier, I'm more powerful, all of these things, and sees the difference between itself and every other wave. And that's how we are as human beings. We walk around, have the same feelings that that wave I just described. And then with meditation and renouncing the ego and the I-ness, the wave says, I'm just water. All those waves are water. This whole ocean is water. I am nothing. I'm nothing but water, just like all these other waves. And that's what the Upanishads gives this example of, of the wave. Knowing Brahman, thinking of Brahman as we are doing right now, and experiencing Brahman or becoming Brahman is two separate things. You can theoretically, as I'm doing, talk about what Brahman is, but you've got to be able to experience it and become Brahman. Big difference. This Mahavakya, which is a great declaration in the Upanishads, all is what Gita is. The Mahavakya, great uh, statement, declaration in the Upanishads, one of them is, Aham Brahmasmi means I am Brahman. Aham Brahma Asmi. I am Brahman. Um, and the 18 chapters are divided into six, six, and six. The first six talk about I. I am Brahman. Second six talk about am. And the last six talk about Brahman. I means your identity. Who are you, really? That's the first six chapters. Am. How to be, how to act, 
how to purify your mind, your get rid of your ego, make it steady, is the second six chapters. And the last six chapters are Brahman. What is Brahman? What is God? What is this entity, Paraprakriti? So when you're in trouble, uh, the Gita says, you tend to look towards Brahman and you say, please get me this job. Please get my daughter married. Please get me some money. Please this, please this. You are seeking something from Brahman, right? right? And when you want something, you think of God. Otherwise, you don't. By So the, the two Sanskrit words are artha and kama. Artha, that's really where all your prayers and your drive seem to go. Artha means security and kama means pleasure. So the, the Upanishads and the Gita says that you tend to do everything for either artha, security, or karma, pleasure. So you want a home, you want a roof, you want heat, you want food. All of that is security, money, wealth, power, and pleasure. Once you get all that, you say, now I want to have fun. And for that, you tend to turn to Brahman to say, please, God, get me enough money to buy this house, etc. What the Gita is saying now is that you don't want anything from Brahman. You want Brahman himself, herself. You don't want anything from God. You want to become the God that you really are. So that's just in brief, a summary of what we are to expect in chapter 18. There's a lot more. I just gave you a thumbnail sketch. So I'd like to move on to verse 1, if that's okay, Lou. Absolutely, yeah. All right, good. Any, anything you want to say, comment? If not, no. I'll... No, it's just it, it. Obviously, it's all interesting, and, and it's going to be fun going back over doing a little bit of a summary here. Because again, we're able to see it in a different way because our minds are calmer. Hopefully, by the time we get to this point, we've learned some new skills. Hopefully, with different people, just have a different perspective on all this. Good, yeah. great, perfect. So, verse one and verse two, I'm going to read together because verse one is a question by Arjuna, and he says, "Oh, mighty armed." Krishna, oh mighty armed Krishna, I want to know distinctly from you the truth of sannyasa and tyaga. Essentially saying, what is the difference between those two? Nothing much to discuss with that other than what we've said already. In verse 2, so here it says, Bhagwan Uvacha, which is the Lord spoke, the Lord answered Arjuna's question. He said, Sages, the wise people, understand sannyasa to be renunciation of selfish desire-prompted activity. He doesn't say desire-prompted activity. He said selfish desire-prompted activity. Big difference. You could have a desire to say, I want to do something good for the entire world. That's desire, but it's not for yourself. Or you can say, I want to do this so that I get a promotion. That's a selfish desire. And activity is usually prompted by desire. Usually you don't act or do something unless you have a desire for something. So he's saying these desires have impressions. They result in emotions. They result in some physical uh, uh, change in whatever you're doing. And he's saying if it's a selfish desire prompted activity, you must renunciate it, renounce it. And he says that is known as sannyasa. And tyaga, he says, is renunciation of the fruit of the action, the result of the action. You just want to give up any result of that action. 
Um, by the way, folks, I'm so sorry. Uh, I didn't put my do not disturb on. I got a phone call and that interrupted my flow. And Lou has been kind enough to offer to splice this together. So my apologies to you, Lou, and to you as the listener for any confusion that that caused. <laughs> so this is something I put in quotes that I have read somewhere and I put it in my notes. All of this, by the way, is friends, not something I just like Krishna says, the sages even as somebody as self-realized and as God himself, he says, the sages understand. Sages teach us this. Not he's saying, I understand or I teach you. And he answered here as Bhagwan, as Lord. So why is that important? Every word in the Gita is important. So the Lord answered, not Krishna answered. The difference being that just like, you know, you have a king or a president, he can be king. But to his wife, he is whatever she calls him. To his children, he's the daddy. To his grandchildren, he's grandpa. So, but when he speaks as the king, everybody says he's not speaking as daddy. He's not speaking as the husband. He's speaking as the king. So here, Krishna speaks not as Krishna, the person, but as God, as the Lord. And even though he's God, even though he's Krishna speaking through a human body, he still doesn't give himself credit to say, I say. He says, those wise people, those sages have said, this is what sannyasa and this is what tyaga means. And in this, in the Upanishads, and so I read this somewhere and I made notes as I do with everything. And then what I'm doing here is giving you the gist of the notes of many, many swamis that I've listened to and made notes over the years. Quote, like the lotus leaf is not affected by water, even though it lives in water. Similarly, the one who performs actions yet gives up attachments by offering those actions to Brahman is not affected by wrongdoing. I found this fascinating, mm -hmm. the way it was phrased. So I'm passing it on to you. He says, Bhagwan Uvacha, not Krishna Uvacha. Then sages understand. The sages say, not I say, no ego. Even somebody like Krishna has no ego. This is the known in Sanskrit as the Guru Shishya Pramana, which is the teacher-student lineage. It goes down. So nobody who is a student who then becomes a teacher or professor should ever take credit herself or himself for uh, this. He always has to go up and say, this galaxy of sages that taught it to all of us is where this came from, not from me. So Krishna says here that there are four types of actions. This is important to know. In Sanskrit, the first one is called Nitya, Nitya Karma or Nitya Naimitika Karma. These are mandatory actions. This is something you or your, it's your obligation to do. These are your obligatory duties. You must do them. And I don't need to go into those. Those are things that you know you have to do on a daily basis. This you cannot get past. The next one is called Kamya Karma, which are optional actions. They result in desired things as a result, what you want. Those are, you do something either for artha, security, or for pleasure. Those are optional things. Number two, right? Number three, nishiddha karma, which means forbidden action. There's no, no way you should be doing this. So killing wantonly, 
animals, beings, birds, killing wantonly for no reason at all. I mean, even the, you're expected to understand that if you're starving, if you're in Alaska and it's winter and there's no vegetables, you can't pick potatoes or cauliflower from the ice of the Alaskan. You can, you're allowed to take salmon and you know kill it and eat it with respect because you have no choice. But if you have a choice, you're surrounded by vegetables, greenery, all of that. There's no reason to kill uh, an animal or a being to eat it. So that's nishiddha karma. And there's many other uh, negative forbidden actions that you have to abide by. And the last one is called prayashchit, prayashchit karma. Prayashchit means um, um, asking for forgiveness, asking for um, to, uh, your, I forget the word, uh, you're looking to undo what you did. Um, these are an antidote for your wrong actions, prayashchit karma. So sannyasa is giving up of the first two, which is nitya karma and kamya karma. That is what is sannyasa, giving up the two first two karmas and the results of the karma. Tyaga is giving up the results of all actions. You just give up. You say, I don't want to know the fruit. I just do it because I ought to do it. Me, I, the doer, I did this, all go together. The mind is always desire-ridden, right? We have a mind and we have an intellect. The mind is the seat of all emotions and all desires. These desires are worldly. They're directed to the world. I want this. I want this. I want this. And it is attached to the world because of these desires. The intellect, on the other hand, this is important. Please focus. The intellect can go to higher ideals or it can be dragged along into the mud with the mind and its desires. The intellect has the capacity to go upwards and attach itself to a higher ideal. What the Gita suggests, Upanishads also, that you have to attach the intellect to the higher ideal, then the lower one falls off. Very important. When you attach to a higher, the lower falls off. <clears throat> so you think of something, for example, if you're focused on saying, I don't want something from Brahman, I want Brahman. That's your ideal. As long as you're focused on that, your desire for marbles, for money, for power, all seems insignificant. You say, no, I, I, this is nothing compared to what I want to get. So attach, from the, attach to the higher and detach from the lower. Therefore, what happens is your functioning is objective when you do that. There's no desire for anything. You don't want something. Your functioning, your thought process, your intellect, everything is objective. It is impersonal. It's not polluted by your ego, by me, my, I. Your action therefore becomes laser focused. It's focused on what you need to do and you know that this is your obligation. It is productive and you do much better because there's no uh, focus on the on the reward. It's like Olympic athletes. As long as they say, well, if I get this uh, dive done properly, I'm going to get more marks than him and I will be the world champion. As long as you focus on that, you're taking away that little bit of energy from your dive. It's not 100%, maybe 90%, but 10% is focused on the reward as opposed to saying, I need to do this this is why I came here. I'm representing my country. This is my duty. It's my obligation. And you're focusing on that. You're giving 100% to your uh, work. Then comes Tiaga, which is the fruit. Recognize this. This is also very important. 
You're acting now at the present time. I'm speaking to you. That's an action. You're acting now. And the result, the fruit, is going to come at a later point. So that later point could be one minute from now. It could be five minutes from now. It could be years from now. But it's at the future, right? Mm -hmm. You're acting now and the fruit comes in the future. Don't focus your mind in the future. Don't focus your mind in the past. Focus your mind not just on the present, but on what you're doing. If you do that, you're focusing it on today, on your action, you drop whatever anxiety you have. You might have anxiety for the fruit. Your mind becomes, without that anxiety, your mind becomes peaceful. It gives you 100% of itself so that you can focus. So that's verse 1 and 2 and the introduction. Um, and then next time we'll go to verse 3, 4, and 5. And it's, we're just getting warmed up here with uh, chapter 18. So yep. thank you for joining us, friends. Lou, uh, you were saying something? Nope. I was just acknowledging what you were saying. Make sure you find us on Facebook. If you're watching on uh, Facebook, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, all those places. Anywhere you find your podcast, you'll be able to find us, I think. Thank you. See you next time.